This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Your possibilities. Possibilities. Hello, this is Andrew Jobling. Welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for another week. And this has been a wonderful conversation that I have just had with M. Chadbourne. You're going to love this. Very, very inspiring. We speak about a lot of stuff. Resilience. We speak about taking responsibility. We talk about mindset. We talk about emotion. We talk about fun. We have a laugh. It's such a cool conversation. M's got a hospitality background. She's been a mindset coach for many years, and now she's transitioning her business into helping people with their personal style and their personal brand. This is really the conversation that I feel like every single person needs to hear. And there'll be something I guarantee you that you will walk away with and you can apply into your life and make it better. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with M. Chadbourne. Hello, M. How are you? Really well, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. And people can't see you because we're audio only, but you are looking pink and Fabulous. Thank you so much. I think the way that I show up on the outside can often influence how I feel on the inside and vice versa, of course. But yeah, I think if you can rock up with a bit of lippy on and a bright pink shirt, you're already winning in life as far as I'm concerned. I've tried it. It didn't work so well for me. (laughs) Maybe you got the wrong shade of pink, Andrew. That's the problem. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you rock the pink way better than I did, that's for sure. Maybe the stiletto heels and the fishnet stockings probably weren't a good addition, but, you know, you've got to try (laughs) these things, don't you? You've got to try. Be courageous. Give it a go. So people listening get a bit of an idea of how this conversation evolved. As you and I are recording this, we're going to be speaking next week at an event called Stories That Stir. And I thought it would be awesome just to have a conversation because I was looking at a bit of the bio of your particular talk. And if I read this out so people can hear it, the theme of this event is resilience. And there's a handful of speakers of which Emily Chadbourne is one of those fabulous speakers. It says, Emily Chadbourne lived a privileged life. So when things went wrong, she hit rock bottom fast. While she was down there, she found herself cobbling together some spiritual scaffolding and slowly but surely climbing a way out. These five spiritual principles are the brutal truth that we all need to hear, delivered from love and with a lot of humour. I'm actually really looking forward to hear you speak. <laughs> Me too. That sounded great. It did sound great, <laughs> didn't it? That's awesome. You know, we talk about resilience a lot, and there are some phenomenal stories that I know we will hear on that stage when we share that stage together. I know some of the speakers who are going to be talking and they have these really powerful, phenomenal stories about stuff that like you wouldn't believe could happen to a human being yeah. and that you would come out the other side. And I have never had that big sort of tragic, terrible, awful thing happen. I came from a place of real privilege and I think sometimes we assume that resilience is reserved for the really brave or resilience is reserved for the people that have had to endure huge hardship or tragedy. But actually, what I have learned is that your ability to create a life that you love will be dependent on how much resilience you can build along the way. And you can't wait for big tragic events to occur to build resilience. 
yeah. have to have some kind of understanding. I call it spiritual scaffolding. Yeah. To be able to even try in the first place. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I know lots of people who are taking to the stage have got some like phenomenal stories, like stuff you would read in fiction books kind of stories. Yeah. And mine is probably quite boring in comparison, but I learned a lot along the way. Em, you and I both, I'm a bit the same. My story is not that extreme or devastating or mind blowingly. Wow, how did he get through that? For sure. And I think if people are sitting there waiting for a tragedy to happen so they can gain resilience, don't do that. Please don't sit there and wait for it. <laughs> resilience is one of those words, isn't it? It's been a cliched word and an overused word, and I think misused word as well in a lot of cases. Misused yeah, in yeah. that it's like you've got to go and learn resilience. You've got to go and develop resilience. I just believe every one of us has resilience. We just need to know how to bring it out. We just need to know and believe that it's there. And what is resilience? And we'll dive into this a little bit. What is resilience? I think people think resilience is, as you said, you've got to have incredible courage and you've got to overcome immense odds. And that's the sign of resilience. I don't think it's that at all. I think getting out of bed when you don't feel like it is resilience. I think 100%. dealing with a bit of conflict with compassion is resilience. I think making a decision to do something that's a bit out of the ordinary is resilience. I think resilience is so many things. And I think this sounds like where this conversation is going to head and because as I said, before we started recording, I've got no plan. Let's just talk and see where it goes. Well, it's already going in that direction. So I'm looking forward to really unpacking this, but before we do unpack it, Lady in Pink, tell us a bit about what you're doing right now. You've pivoted a little bit in 2024. You've headed off in a new direction. Tell us a bit about the stuff you're doing now that's exciting you. Yeah, I mean, talk about resilience. I um, I think one of the things that resilience can teach us is the following of your curiosity, the tapping into your intuition and listening to the universe when it gifts you an idea. So I had an idea probably about a year ago now. I've worked in the mindset space for eight, nine years. Um, I've always been a mindset coach. I've always worked exclusively with women. I've always been into female empowerment. I've always been into reflecting back to women their own greatness and that's been a passion of mine since I started this work and when I turned 40 I'm about to turn 43 so this is about three years ago I woke up one day and I didn't think I'd have an issue turning 40 I was like you know age is just a number it won't bother me it'll all be fine and then I woke up one day and I realized that actually this idea of potentially having less years in front of me than behind me was actually really quite confronting. And well, hang on, aren't you going to live to 100? I'm going to live to 100. So you've still got way oh, more yeah. years Oh, no, I reckon 82 is mine. That's where I reckon I'm going to tap out at 82. I've got, oh, I've got come that on, you've got too much more to give than tap out at 82. <laughs> I'll, I'll you're going to be a rocking... My grave, whatever happens. You're going to be a rocking granny in your hundreds. <laughs> still rocking your pink and your lippy. 100%. And- I consider that I will get more and more eccentric the older I get. I think as a general rule, I can't speak for other people. I can only speak for myself. The older I get, the less of a shit I get, which is actually really liberating. But as I was about to turn 40, I felt quite confronted by it and it's, one of those milestone years, isn't it? And you begin to reflect. And I noticed that I didn't know how I was meant to show up as a 40-something-year-old woman. I hadn't Mm. really been given a particularly strong example of the person that I had accidentally become. You know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and a 40-something-year-old woman 
was a housewife and she had three children. And if she wasn't, then it was because she was too in her masculine. You know, if she was like a career woman, it was unnatural. Or if she was single and child free, of which I am both, then she was to be pitied or there must be something wrong with her. And here I was as a 40 something year old woman living in my lovely rental flat with my cute little dog, intentionally not having children, intentionally taking some time to be single. And I didn't know what that person should look like. That had never been demonstrated to me. And so I was looking around for a stylist and I could only come and there are some phenomenal stylists around. I'm not dissing stylists at all. There are some amazing women who are doing some really great work, especially actually in the sustainability space, which is something I'm also deeply passionate about. So I couldn't find a stylist that was going to do the extra layer that I was looking for. I wasn't just looking for someone to teach me how to dress. I was looking for somebody to help me work through those stories and the fears and the identity piece that was going to help me not just look good in clothes, but feel really good about myself and feel like I was certain in who I was and where I was going and what I was doing. So I did that work myself. I was like, well, come on, Em, you're a mindset coach. Like, do your own work. So I did, and I have always worked with a coach myself. So my coach and I unpacked a lot of stuff in my 40th year. And then I went and I did a short like styling course and I learned about body proportions and I learned about color theory and I learned about you know all of this kind of stuff and I kind of self-taught myself and then I put it away I was like great I've got what I needed I am done and then this idea kept coming to me and it kept coming to me it kept coming to me and I kept batting it away because it didn't feel like it was my idea to begin with I don't know if you get that Andrew when sometimes you have an idea and you're like god that would be such a great idea I'm not going to do it it's not my idea it's for somebody Good else. for someone else to do, not for me. Yeah, absolutely. But I won't be executing. And so I had this idea and it kept coming back and it kept coming back to me. And, and then obviously the, it got louder and louder and the universe started throwing weird synchronicities and things in my pathway. And I was in Rome last August with my sisters and I was telling them about this idea and they were like, oh my God, you have to do it. You have to do it. And the more people I told, the more people were like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Of course, it's your idea. Of course, that's something that you should do. And so I had to go through a fair amount of imposter syndrome and a lot of fear and worry and doubt. What if it fails and what if people don't like it? What if people don't like me? All of the stuff that resilience is called upon to help us move through. Um, And then at the end of 2023, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take a deep breath. You had to, didn't you? You had no choice. Yeah, I had no choice. The idea was persistent. And it just kicked off. Yeah, we actually had to stop people enrolling in the course because um, there were so many. I'm very careful about making sure that anybody who works with me in any context feels like they are being really looked after and that they've got enough attention and we'll be looking to hire someone to help me in the coaching space for the next round. But for this one, it was just me. So it was really important that everyone felt like they were being really looked after. So we've moved into the space of confidence and style. So absolutely finding your signature style and learning about body type and color theory and the actual components of styling. But really for me, that is, you know, coming from this place of, have I worked out who I am in this particular season of my life? So yeah, it's been so well received. It was obviously something that a lot of people have been after. And it goes so much deeper than just a styling program. It really is like yeah, can a imagine. From the inside out. You were saying to yourself, what am I supposed to look like and who am I supposed to be when I'm 40? Whoever you want. 
age is irrelevant. I've got a significant birthday this year. I'm actually turning 60. And I think it bothered me more turning 40 than it does turning 60. I actually mm. am looking forward to it. I don't care. Most people go, what? You're 60? No, because I feel good. I dress young. I act young. I live young. I love life. Who cares? Mm. Who cares? Do you have children, Andrew? No, I don't. No, no, nor do I, and I think that makes a difference. <laughs> oh, my God. I think if I had kids, okay, I'd look hours of sleep every 50 night. years older. Exactly right. Anyway, Em, let's have a quick break, and then we're going to dive into stuff, real I'm, stuff, deep stuff, fun stuff. stuff. Great stuff is coming after this break. Be inspired. Be engaged. Get motivated and make real change in your life and the people around you. Andrew Jobling knows how to inspire. On stage, he's riveting and engaging. Andrew is helping audiences around the world live their best life. Book him for a face-to-face or an online event. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find out more. You really followed your intuition, didn't you, And This voice, this gut feeling. And that is something that we all have access to. But very few people actually listen and follow. Mm. And this is where resilience comes into it, I think, because it's do you trust yourself to have a go? Yeah. Do you trust yourself to leave the relative safety of where you are, even though you hate your job, even though your boss doesn't appreciate you, even though you know you're underpaid, even though it doesn't fulfill you? Do you have the tools in your tool belt to be able to say, I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to go and do this other thing? And I might fail or it might be, you know, a stepping stone onto something else. And I don't know what that other thing is yet, but I'm just going to trust that my intuition is saying it's not this. Because so often our intuition tells us what it's not, as opposed to telling us what it is. I mean, I do feel like this was like one of those moments where intuition really like told me exactly what it wanted me to do. But often my intuition is just like, it's not this. Yeah, don't go there. What is it then? (laughs) I don't know. Em, I think this is an important point. I've got a very similar experience, but very, very different. My intuition, when I was personal training and owned a cafe, I was working two businesses, I was in enormous debt. And again, my intuition saying, get out, get out, get out. And I'm going, no, I'll work it out. I'll push through. I'll make this business work. And it got to the point where I just realized, no, Andrew, this is not going to get any better. Every day you stay in this hospitality business, you're losing money. And I just sat there head and hands going, oh my God gosh, this is not how I want to live. And I started visualizing. The idea came to me, this intuitive idea, which was totally illogical to write a book. And it was very clear, write a book. This is what you need to do. I don't get, can't write a book. I don't have any ability, background skills, qualifications, but it was such a strong feeling that I couldn't ignore it. But here's the other thing. And What you were saying before was, who am I to think that I could be an author? Who am I to think that I can start a business? Who am I to think that I can change my life? Well, why don't we flip that and say, who am I to stick in a job or a career that I hate for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, be miserable, be unhealthy, and live a life far short of that that is possible? Surely isn't it an easier choice to just have a bit of a crack, have a go? Yeah. You got feeling. There's this thing that floats around the internet every now and then, and I love it whenever I see it, even though it's become sort of a bit of a cliche now, which is that you have to choose your hard. You know, staying in a job that you hate is hard. Starting your own business is hard. 
going for the promotion is hard. Marriage is hard. Being single is hard. Like it's hard. There are going to be hard components of whatever path you end up on. You just have to choose which hard you are willing to kind of tolerate. And then you have to ask yourself, because everything exists in polarity, right? We can never just have one thing solely by itself. There's always the other flip side to the coin. There's always the up to the down and the left to the right. And so where there is hard, there will also be the opposite of hard, where it does feel like ease and it does feel like flow and it does feel like creativity. I'm sure even writing a book, Andrew, you will have moments where you're like, yeah, it's pouring out of me. And then you'll have other days where you're like, I cannot find a single word to write, you know, because that's the ebb and flow of what life is. And that's the ebb and flow of what creativity is. And so I think at times you just have to ask yourself, well, where's my balance of polarity? Like, how much joy am I having as a trade-off for the hard that I'm experiencing? And if that balance is out of whack, if you're like, well, actually, the most joyous part of my day is when I get to go home, (laughs) or the most joyous part of my day is when someone bitches about Carol in the, you know, staff room with me, you know, the delight in my day is kind of weirdly the toxicity that I hate about my job. You know, that's when you have to start questioning, am I on the right side of hard? Yeah. Yeah. But also hard is perceived as a bad thing. Oh, that's hard. Like resilience. Yeah. So there's hard and then there's hard. There's hard that is joyful hard. And then there's hard that is gouge your eyes out with a toothpick heart. Mm-hmm. The hard for me, you talked about writing a book. And when I decided to write my first book, I was working seven days a week in two businesses. That was hard. But that was an exciting, joyful hard because I was creating something amazing. Mm-hmm. I was making a difference. Every word that I wrote, I knew was going to change someone's life. I knew it was going to change my life when my book was published and it was going to open doors and opportunities. So that hard for me was not a hard that I resisted. I played professional sport. Let me tell you, training was hard. Mm. It was painful. It was gut busting. It was muscle tearing hard, but it was a joyful hard because I knew every session that I got through was making me stronger, more resilient, more equipped to be a professional athlete. So there's the good hard. Yes. And there's the hard that is, oh, I've got to go and work again with people that I don't like, doing something that I don't like. That's not a good hard because that's a hard that we just accept, not a hard that we choose. I think it's about the energy that comes with the hard, doesn't it? There's the hard that creates energy and creates motion. And then there's the hard that is stagnant. And that's the hard, I think, that you need to change. Yeah. I think the best indicator of what hard you're dealing with, I believe, is when you eyes open in the morning, the initial thought and that initial feeling. Mm. To me, that's the indicator of whether you're on the right path with your hard or you need to change your hard. Because if you wake up in the morning and go, yay, a new day, I can't wait. What am I going to create? Who am I going to meet? Who can I help? What great thing will I create today? I know it's going to be a full day and I've got lots to do and I've got all these things, but I can't wait to get into it. That's the, yep, you're on the right path. But when you wake up and go, oh my gosh, here we go again. And you hit snooze 12 times and there's anxiety and there's fear and there's just this resistance to get out of bed. I just don't want to do it. To me, that's a big red flashing light saying, hey, you've got to change something. Mm, Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think there's definitely been times in my business when I have been like, oh my God, (laughs) like, I don't actually know if I'm enjoying this. 
And I think, you know, they talk, we talk about this a lot in the personal development space, don't we? Like the importance of having a why and of having something that feels greater than you that you need to be sort of working towards. And I think that can sometimes be what happens when people find themselves in jobs that they're not connected with is because there's no real why. They don't yep. feel like they're a part of anything. They don't feel like they're working towards anything. You know, there are definitely days, there have been days when I've woken up in the morning and I don't know it's been a bad patch or I've just been going through a bad patch and I've sort of felt like, oh God, do I have to do it today? Do I have to be the boss of me today? Do I have to put myself on social media today? Whatever it might be. And the thing that keeps me going in those times is that actually the wins that my clients get or those little messages that you'll get sent, you know, in the middle of the night when a client's just like had a massive insight because they've listened to something that you said or they've gone through that journal prompt that you've offered them and they've just been like, oh my God, Em, I've just had this realization and it's changed my life or it's changed the way I've parented or it's made me closer with my partner or, you know, I'm just a nicer, better person for it. And I think in those moments, that's the fuel that I need in those moments when it does feel a bit sticky to keep going. And I think if you don't have something that is bigger than you that you are working towards or if you don't see how the work that you are doing is influencing the world in a positive way then on those days when it's cold and it's wet and it's shit outside and you're having a bit of a bad moment in life in general then it does feel really sticky so you know I know plenty of people who are in paid employment who just love their jobs they just love them they they know that they're working in an organization or a company that is doing something that's really good in the world yep. feel appreciated they feel stretched they feel like they're connected in their workplace and so i'm not dissing paid employment in any way shape or form because i think sometimes when entrepreneurs get together we can talk about how amazing it is to be an entrepreneur and i actually don't think it's necessarily for everyone but like are you in a space in your work whether it's paid employment whether you're an entrepreneur whether you're a freelancer or whatever where you know that you are contributing to something that is bigger and positive to the world around you. Because I think that is such an important part of resilience. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I honestly think that every single job does that, but it's all how we look at it. If you ask someone who's employed or potentially even works for themselves, what do you do? And how they answer the question is what they think about what they do. did a lot of work for an organization that builds and repairs buses and trucks. And it's a global business. And I remember asking a group of guys, if you were to describe what you did, what would you say? And one guy said, hmm. I'm just a mechanic. And I think the words were, I'm just a mechanic. And I said, well, you're actually not just a mechanic. Do you know what you actually do? Do you actually know what you do? He goes, well, I fix engines. I said, yeah, but what do those engines do? And where do they go? They go on a bus or a truck. Okay. And what does the bus or the truck do? Well, the bus moves people. Where does it move people? To and from. It moves people potentially to reunite with them with their families. It moves people to attend an event or to go on a holiday or to do something that brings great joy. And what do the trucks do? Well, they move stuff. Yeah, they do move stuff, maybe parts or equipment or things that build and make life better. So really what you do is you're an integral cog in the process of making people's lives better. And it's amazing having this conversation with this young guy and he goes, oh, wow, okay. So sometimes it just means that we need to shift our perspective about what we do. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cog that we are in the machine, right? And does the company that you work for 
speak those values? Do they have a mission? Do they have a purpose? It's the work of Simon Sinek, really, isn't it? Like, do you know your company's why? Do you understand the part that you play? And if the company has a really clear and positive intention behind the work that it's doing, more often than not, that will be filtered down to all of its staff. If it doesn't, if it's, well, we exist because the shareholders want their profits, then potentially it's, it's, it's hard to sell, isn't it? It's That's a hard, hard one to be like, oh yeah, I'm really glad I'm processing this data so that somebody else can get really rich. But yeah, ultimately, like how can you realize what the greater good is in the work that you are doing? So Em, tell us a bit about where you started. You live in Melbourne now. Been You're an Aussie. I'm an Aussie now, yeah. I originally from the UK. I came here in 2011. I followed a boy for love. And I was waiting tables for years. I worked in the hospitality industry in the UK and actually was doing really well for myself in London. What were you doing in London? So I was working operationally. So big, large scale chain restaurants in the UK that don't exist here, mainly because of population, geography, supply chain. The hospitality industry is actually very different here to the way that it is in London or in the UK. So when I came here, my job technically didn't exist. Um, I potentially could have gone and worked for something like KFC or McDonald's, but they're all franchised here. Whereas in the UK, you have 250 restaurants that are high street restaurants. They're good quality food. They're really nice. I'm going to use the terminology middle-class restaurants. And they're just rolled out across the country. You can go to one in Liverpool and then you can go to one in Bristol and you'll have exactly the same experience, same food, same menu. And so I worked in that sort of industry operationally, worked my way up to an ops management level position. And then when I came to Australia and realized that nothing here existed like that, it was a real rude awakening. And I thought I knew myself. I was 30 when I moved out here. So I really thought I knew who I was. But actually, when you took away the scaffolding of my friends and my family and the significance that my job delivered me, I realized I actually didn't know who I was at all. And what started then was this very slow, quite insidious breakdown that I didn't even realize I was having. And so I found myself waiting tables for like 20 bucks an hour, got myself into all sorts of debt really angry with the world, a real victim of my circumstances, could not believe that this is the way that my life had turned out. Taking no responsibility, it was drinking so much booze. My boyfriend left me, obviously, because who would want to stay in a relationship with that guy? And then I kind of had this moment, I got very drunk at an engagement party and I kind of humiliated myself in front of all of my friends. The next day I woke up and I threw up and I threw up in my own hair. And I remember thinking to myself, this has to stop. Like you cannot be this person. There has to be a different way of doing your life. It cannot be this. You cannot be, I was 34. I was in debt. I was literally waiting tables for 20 bucks an hour. And I just vomited in my own hair and pissed off all of my friends the night before. And I was just absolutely beside myself I realized I didn't really like the person I had become and that's what set me off on a personal development journey I started looking to people who were living the type of life that I wanted to live and this was before podcasts actually but you know I would watch their YouTube videos I would watch them on Facebook this was before Instagram and I found a coaching course that I enrolled in I didn't think at the time that I would be a coach I didn't have 
the self-esteem or the resilience to even think that I could run my own business. That seemed very far-fetched. I just wanted to learn how to manage myself and how to be a better person. And then it kind of just escalated from there, really. I started telling people what I was learning and then I was brave enough to do it on a Facebook Live and no one listened and that was fine. And then the people started listening and that kind of gained momentum. And, and then I ended up doing the part of the coaching course where you actually become a coach yourself as opposed to just learning about principles of mindset. And it kind of escalated from there, really. So that's, it was my own dark place, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's where all of us make those decisions to change. Unfortunately, we've got to get to that deep, dark place where we feel like we've got no other way to go. And that's yeah. when we create that change. So, Am, hold that thought. Let's have another break. And then we want to talk about what kind of resilience it took for you to lift yourself up, take yourself out, recreate yourself and be as fabulous as you are today <laughs> doing all the amazing things you're doing. So let's have another quick break. Hi, my name is Emily Chadbourne. And if you are a 40 plus year old woman who's lost her sense of style a little bit and is maybe struggling with her confidence, then you need to follow me on Instagram, M Chadbourne. My grid is full of style tips and confident boosting mindset hacks. And my speciality is helping women reconnect to their spark. I'll see you across on Instagram. Did you have long hair when you vomited in? I had very you... long hair. Oh, yeah. okay. Because your hair is relatively short now. I'm thinking, how would you vomit in that hair? You'd have to be lying on your back, vomit straight up, and it'd come <laughs> down and land on your hair. No, no, no. It was very long. I couldn't afford to get it cut. So, uh, yeah, it was really, really long hair. And I think probably like the week after I was like, okay, new me, haircut. And this is really important point because right at the start we talked about the misconception of resilience is you've got to go through some incredible tragedy or accident or horrendous scenario to display resilience. But what you're talking about is more relatable to the majority of people. Because most people aren't going to go through the horrendous tragedy. I mean, we're all going to have tragedy in our life for sure. But most of us are just going to go through this time where we feel like we're stuck in a bit of a dead-end job or maybe a relationship that's toxic or we're in some kind of scenario that we go, this is not me, this is not where I need to be, and we self-medicate. And alcohol is just a way to deal with stuff. Like, I drink because I don't like my reality, so I'm going to take myself out of my reality by doing something that will move me out of there. But then it always leads to a point that you experience. And I think every person can relate to that. Yeah. So that's a good thing because there's a process to reinvent, isn't there? There's a process to get yeah. yourself up and get yourself out. And it's really not as scary as most people think when you get started, is it? So tell us a bit about how you then started yeah, this Yeah, I mean, journey. I think the first thing that I learned was radical responsibility. No one had ever... And again, this is where my privilege came into play, right? Is that no one had ever really turned around to me and been like, actually, you are solely responsible for the experience that you are having. You are not responsible for other people's behavior. You cannot control the universe. People will always, there will always be dickheads in the world, right? And there will always be people that die. There will always be people that get sick. You might be one of those people that get sick one day. Life will always happen. You cannot avoid the life. But your reaction to life, how you deal with life will affect the experience that you have of life. No one had ever told me that, ever. No. And so that was the first step, I think, was just taking this real radical responsibility, radical responsibility for my health, radical responsibility for the way that I thought, the stories that I chose to tell myself, the people that I was hanging out with. 
what I was doing with my time. You know, I was an avid, avid TV watcher. You know, my whole existence outside of work, bear in mind, you know, I was working a 30 hour week waiting tables. Everything else I did was either drinking or watching TV. And then you realize that actually, as a result of that, that is limiting my potential. I could also spend not all of my time, but some of my time reading a book, listening to an audio of someone, you know, talking about some success. Resilience. Resilience, yeah, absolutely. And radical responsibility. Yeah, I changed those habits over time. And I think that was the first massive step. And life to get better, life to get better, life to get better. But a lot of it, I was theorizing. You know, when you first hear these sorts of principles for a long time, you kind of hold them in your head, don't you? Like, I understand that on a logical level, but it took me a bit longer to actually embody it into my life. That's the hard step, Em, isn't it? Because there's a lot of personal development junkies out there that talk the talk. Wow, they've got the lingo. They know about the communication. They know about resilience. But when you look at their life, it's, well, okay, you've got it intellectually, but now you've got to shift that into the hard part, which is taking action. Yeah. And so I think that for me happened in 2017, 2018. I'd done the theory and I'd learned it in principle and I had changed some of my actions. Absolutely. But, and life had gotten better and I just started, had this fledging coaching business. And then in 2017, lots of things happened in a very short period of time. And my mum died. My partner left me for one of my best friends. I love running. It's like meditation for me. And I injured my ankle. So it was just a lot happened in a very short space of time. And I think that's when I realized that I couldn't just think these principles. I had to live them. And then I got sober. That's when I realized that I could no longer rely on alcohol. And I think one of the things that holds people back from embodying the personal development that they read online or they see on Instagram or listen to in a podcast or read in a book is feeling like your emotions will hurt you. (laughs) Like one of the most powerful things I've done, and this is resilience, is that I'm allowed to have hard emotions. It is okay for me to feel gross, shitty feelings. Yep. It's okay for me to be in the space of I failed at that. Yep. I just fucked that up massively. I tried something and it didn't work out and it feels awful. And I'm safe to have that awful feeling because that feeling is transient. And that feeling will either peak in intensity or ebb in intensity, depending on how I choose to relate to it and the story that I create around it. Yeah. And this is where these sort of spiritual principles that I'll be talking about at Stories That Stir come into play for me is these, I call them the four nothings in the end, is these spiritual principles that over time I have come to recognize work in almost any situation, no matter how uncomfortable the feeling might be that I'm having. I know that it is temporary. I know that the meaning that I give it will influence the intensity of the feeling that I am having. I know that resisting what is, is a complete waste of time and yep. what causes me more suffering. And I know that there is also the polarity. So where there is failure, there will be some success. You know, where there is love, there will be pain. And you said something really beautiful at the beginning of our conversation about how, you know, resilience is actually sometimes a really quiet thing. It's about, do you have the resilience to get out of bed on a hard day? Or do you have the resilience to try and do something a little bit different? Not like life altering different necessarily, just a new habit, a slightly different thing. 
And one of the things that I think resilience does is it allows us to really love. And I mean, like truly open our hearts and truly be vulnerable and be seen and be deeply connected because it isn't that what we're all after at the end of the day is connection and belonging, that feeling of safety. And so many of us don't allow ourselves to open up to the fullest expression of that because we're so scared of it being taken away and the pain that will come on the back of it. You know, if I love someone this much and then they die, or if I love someone this much and then they go off with somebody else. And so we deny ourselves the fullness of life because we are too scared to sit with an emotion that we don't like. But if you cannot sit with the emotion of grief, or if you cannot sit with the emotion of loneliness, or if you cannot sit with the emotion of shame or guilt or anger or resentment or bitterness, or all these emotions that we have somehow deemed to be negative. I, I don't use that language in, no. in my own world, no. but you know, these harder emotions, if you are trying to resist them at all costs, you also block out the opposite of those emotions, which is real joy and this feeling of like love and connection and belonging and purpose and, and the fullest expression of yourself. And so I think, you know, really for me, what getting sober did was it left me with nowhere else to go other than to sit with the emotion that I was having. And that for me, learning that I can have an emotion and be okay has been resilience in its fullest form. That's so good. I love that. And I love talking about emotion because we do judge it, don't we? We judge it. And we think if I'm not happy, joyful, grateful, loving, then what's wrong with me? Or I shouldn't mm -hmm. be angry. I shouldn't be anxious. That's a bad thing. But what you're saying is you need to experience it because we're humans. We are going to experience every spectrum mm. of emotion. But the yeah. other thing is if you don't pay attention and you don't live in it, you'll never also learn from it because emotion is feedback. Emotion is just how your body talks to you. It tells you what's going on. It's really how it's communicating what's going on up here. So when you're sitting with anger or anxiety or fear or bitterness or resentment, it's good to sit there and validate it. Look, this is okay. I'm human. I get to feel this. What does it mean? Mm. What am I focused on? What am I thinking about that's leading me to guilt? What am mm. I focused on that's leading me to resentment? That's an empowering feeling, isn't it? To know that, well, I'm angry because this person said something I didn't think was fair. What if they're having a bad day? What if they're going through a really tough time? What if they're just struggling at the moment? Ah, oh, okay, maybe I need to give this person a bit of compassion. And then all of a sudden that anger turns to empathy. Mm. And within a heartbeat of just spending a few seconds just thinking about what am I anxious about? Okay, well, I'm anxious because I don't know what such and such is going to say or I'm anxious because I don't want to go to do this job or whatever it might be. Okay, well, how do I focus on what I do want? How do I focus on what I am in control of? And then again, you know what it's like, you mentioned it before, when you focus on what you're in control of, all of a sudden this feeling changes to empowerment. Yeah. And so when I you understand and use emotion and go, well, it's just feedback. Yeah. Every emotion becomes a really positive, powerful tool in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think anxiety is a really interesting one because obviously we talk a lot about anxiety, don't we, in our society today. And one of the things that I always come back to whenever I'm in the experience of anxiety is, for me, I know that when I'm in the experience of anxiety, it's because there is something telling me that I might not be safe or in the space of belonging. And so just like really simply... I call it self-parenting. So I run a, a membership called Amplify, which is 
membership for women to come and explore mindset and spirituality. And we talk about self-parenting a lot, self-soothing. Like, can I, as the parent of me, as the guardian of me, as the custodian of my incarnation on this planet right now, you know, how do I sort of step up and remind myself that actually, you know, I am worthy and I am loved and I am safe in this moment. And yes, I might be about to, I don't know, go on a date for the first time in a couple of months and I'm mildly anxious about that, or I'm about to, you know, go and do a speech for some reason, you know, and I'm, I'm anxious about it, but it's like coming back to that space of like self-soothing and befriending yourself as opposed to like, well, everyone's going to hate you you're obviously going to be rejected by this person on this date, or you're going to stand up on stage and everyone's going to boo you off stage because you're a terrible person. So it's like, you know, really nurturing this relationship and to bring that back to resilience as well. Like I think some of the most resilient people are the ones who like themselves and who have done the healing work and the forgiveness work and the, it sounds a bit wanky, doesn't it? But like the inner child work to really learn how to be their biggest cheerleader. I think the greatest courage ever we can show is the courage to face ourselves in the mirror and to get deep and understand what it is that fuels our behavior and what it is that fuels the things we do and why it happens. Certainly for me as a man, there's a lot of things about me I didn't understand and a lot of choices I would make. And I go, why do you keep doing that? Why do you say that? Why do you do that? What is wrong with you? My marriage came to an end just before COVID. I ended up in lockdown for months and months and months living with the person I least liked. And the biggest and the best thing that happened to me was COVID because it forced me to be with me and to learn mm -hmm. about me and to understand me and to go, okay, we actually, nothing wrong with you. You're just a human being, number one. You're a male with male challenges, number two. And now that you can understand those and try and work with that, then you can use that as a power for good. And it's been such a transformational journey. So, yeah, I think that's where the courage is, isn't it? He's been able to just stop self-medicating, stop sticking our head in the sand and really just face ourselves and who we are and love ourselves for who we are and all of our imperfections mm -hmm. and just go, okay, well, this is me. Yeah, and my company is called Unashamedly Human for that very reason. You know, I think we think that we will be lovable when we are in some way, shape or form, perfect. And I think we have to recognize that we get to be loved right now. Like today, you get to be your best friend. Today, you get to be worthy. Not when, not when you've got the money, not when you've got the relationship, not when you've acquired whatever materialistic possession you think will make you a more valuable person on this planet. The whole premise of being unashamedly human is that we can sit with those hard emotions that make us uniquely and wonderfully who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so yeah, much. I feel like we could talk forever, Andrew. We could go, and I'm looking at the time going, we've got to end this, but I think this leaves the door open for further conversation if you're up for that. Absolutely. So thank you so much for what you shared. If people want to reach out to you, find you, how do they do that? Yeah, the best way is Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram, so it's mchadbourne. I'm huge lover of the reels. I'm told I'm quite funny. So uh, yeah, I love blending the mindset and confidence work with fun fashion and style. So it's always a good time over on my Instagram account. All right. We'll head over to Em's Instagram for a laugh and to be inspired at the same time. Em, good luck with your new adventure this year. Look forward to sharing a stage with you next week. Now, yes. people listening, if you're in Melbourne and you're listening to this, by the time this goes out, it's only going to be a couple of days before this event is. It's 
28th of February 2024 in St Kilda in Melbourne. So if you're in Melbourne, stories that stir is where you want to be. So you can reach out to me if you want to find out more about that. Em, thank you so much. Look forward to being on the stage with you next week. Have a wonderful day, week, life, and be fabulous. Thanks, Andrew. That was an amazing conversation with M. Chadbourne. Hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. She's real. She's relatable. She communicates beautifully and she's got a message that's incredibly powerful. So many things she spoke about. I'm not going to rehash them right now. You heard them. And if you like them and you want to hear them again, listen to it again. If you want to reach out to M, the best way to do it is through her Instagram page, which is M. Chadbourne all one word. I'll pop that link in the show notes. So that'll be there for you. I really want to encourage you to just follow her and listen to some of the stuff she chats about because I know it will have a positive impact in your life. Thanks for being with me again this week. It's been a wonderful conversation. I hope you'll share it. I hope you'll join me next week. I'll definitely be back. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Public Podcast. 